0: Uh, turn your Bibles to First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. Uh, last week we started in First Timothy chapter one, and uh, if you did not have a chance to be here for that message, I want to encourage you to go online and get it because it was a really good one. Come on, I happened to preach it, but I happened to like it as well. Uh, it was just really good. We had a good time just looking at the first chapter uh, of of Timothy. Uh, the first book of Timothy, and uh, just really excited for what God's going to do through this series. Uh, You know, when we talked about last week uh, why Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul was writing this letter, he didn't call it a book back then, it was simply a letter, he was writing to Timothy, and uh, in this letter that he was writing to Timothy, obviously knowing it would probably be read to the church, and the reason he was writing it to Timothy was because there was some stuff that was out of whack in Ephesus. Uh, there was some stuff happening in the culture there. Uh, there was stuff happening in the church there. Some things were out of line with worship. Some things were out of line with doctrine. And uh, and so Paul writes this letter to Timothy to begin to set some things in order. But when he writes it, he writes it specifically to Timothy, and we talked last week a little bit about how that was kind of a correction to Timothy, because we see that Timothy actually wanted to leave. And uh, Paul said, man, I urge you, stay at Ephesus, stay there, because you're needed there. And so he kind of rebukes him a little bit, Uh, but I like the way it comes, because it addresses Timothy first, then Timothy can address the church, then the church, come on, can begin to impact culture. And so this letter was written in such a way, it said, you know, Paul's writing, he's like, you know, Timothy, I understand, I understand bad doctrines taking place, I understand things are really, really bad there, but stop being a baby, come on, yeah. stop being a baby and stop whining, okay, Christ died for those people that you're whining about, yeah. okay, and you can catch this online, but Christ died for those people that you're complaining about, Timothy, so buck up, and by the way, if you don't buck up, that last part of 1 Timothy 1, I might hand you over to the devil, okay. And so don't mess with God, man. It, it, is, it isn't good to do. And, and so you can read through that. But I want to jump right in here then, and I want to begin to read this because of all this stuff that is happening. Paul paints the picture and shows what's happening. He empathizes he, he, he with Timothy. I understand that, but here's some things you've got to understand. And now, chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then... First of all, because of all this stuff that we just got done talking about, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That's a lot of prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Each one of those is actually a prayer. What Paul is doing, he's trying to emphasize something. It's probably not just about the supplications. It's not just about the intercessions. It's not just about the thanksgivings. But what he's trying to say is, he's saying, Timothy, whatever you do, buddy, pray, okay? I understand it's bad, I understand the task ahead of you, man, it's a difficult one, but here's what I need you to do, I need you to pray. Pray for who? Pray for all people, pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. It's not just good that we live that way, it's good that we pray, come on somebody, so that we live that way. Who desires all people to be saved. Now he begins to get into the, the context of which the, uh, propels the prayer. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's just a good place to say amen. I just thought I'd pause for, for impact there. Did he forget where he was at? No, I'm waiting for you. All right. Come on. God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is one meter between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. All right. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am not, I, I, I am telling you the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now that has to be one of my favorite scriptures in this chapter. If not the whole entire Bible. Listen to this. I'm not, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. Isn't it good to know that the writers of the Bible aren't lying to us, right? Thank you, Paul, for clarifying that. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying. He had to pause for a moment, and he had to put that in there, but it makes me ask the question, why? Right? I mean, why would one of the writers of the Bible, under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as they write it, stop for a minute and say, God, can I just put something in here real quick? right? Can I just, I just, I just, can I just jot down just, just, just one of my own thoughts just for one moment. And obviously God said, yeah, go ahead. Okay, here it is. I'm telling you the truth, Timothy. I'm not lying. I was, I was uh, out surfing with my daughter uh, a couple weeks ago, and I got back, and uh, I take Cara surfing on Thursday. Katie takes Faith to play basketball, and so I got back, and Faith was just beaming with joy, man. She had this big smile on her face, and I was like, baby, how was basketball? And she was like, dad, I made 15 baskets. And I was like, baby, that's great. She goes, no, no, dad, dad, really? I made 15 baskets baskets. Baby, that is so awesome. Dad, I don't think you're understanding me. I made 15 baskets. That's what Paul's doing here. It's really not so much probably for Timothy's sake as much as it is for his own sake. Wow, this is what God appointed me to. No, really? Really, this is what he called me to do. It's almost like an encouragement to himself. Are you with me? Okay, I'm glad he's not lying. I'm glad he's telling the truth. A teacher to the Gentiles, why did he have to put that in there? Because here's, here was one of the problems that the people in Ephesus thought that, that the gospel was for the Jews. But wait a second, Paul, you tell me it's for the Gentiles also? And they were a little bit of an elitist group, and so they're having a hard time grasping this. Verse 8, I desire then in every place that men should pray. How? Lifting up holy hands. Come on, guys, lift up your hands. We're an interactive church. Yeah, look at that. Oh, some of you don't look like you have holy ones. Put them down. No, i kidding. Okay. <laughs> I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. What is that? Okay. I saw some people being like... Okay. In respectable apparel. With modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair. How I many guys having fun in church? Come on, <laughs> not with braided hair or gold or pearls. Give those to me, and I'll give them to my wife. Pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with with good words. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not per- permit a woman. Now I want you to notice. Just a minute ago, he was talking to women. Okay. Now here he goes from the plural to the singular, and he says, "I do not permit a woman to teach." Or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. He just did it willfully. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. What in the world? You mean all these women out here ain't babies yet? You ain't saved? Well, we'll get there, Okay if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, God, help me today to preach this word in Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. First of all, then, I urge that you pray. First of all, then, I urge that you pray, Timothy. This tells me three things. First of all, it tells me this. When I read that very first verse, and we'll try to get through the whole text, but we may not get there today. That tells me this, when, when, when Paul is writing, remember, it's bad. We talked about it last week, okay? It is bad. It's so bad that later on in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, that, that Paul says, hey, Timothy, bro, your tummy, it's bothering you, buddy. Don't just drink water, drink some wine. You know it's bad when a minister of the gospel tells another minister of the gospel, just go get a drink, all right? Okay? I haven't had that happen yet, but it's, it's gotten bad sometimes. I haven't had my mentor call me and say, you know what you need to do? You should go get, get some liquor, man, and... And go, okay. But this is how bad it is. It's bad where, you know, Timothy's struggling through some stuff. He's struggling with people, and, and there's some stuff going on. And, and so now here is the very first thing that Paul tells Timothy to do. Timothy, pray. Okay? Matter of fact, he says, I urge you then. What's the then there for? It's because of all this stuff that has happened. Because of all that, I urge you to pray. You, you just got, you got, you got to pray. That tells me this, that Timothy knew how to pray. Okay? Because Paul doesn't go in and begin to teach Timothy how to pray. He just simply says pray. He gives him some parameters in which to pray for, but he doesn't stop like Jesus did with his disciples and say, okay, when you pray, say. Okay? This tells us that Timothy already knew how to pray. I'm urging you, Timothy, do what you already know how to do. You, you, You need to pray. Okay? He knew how to do it. Can I just say this? As Christ's followers, uh, there comes a point, and I know there's a learning curve. I know that when you first come to Jesus that there's this learning curve. You know, I don't understand, you know, why that tall, good-looking guy up there is yelling at me. You know? I don't get it. Why do they have like three songs at the beginning? Why is somebody raising their hands, somebody clapping, another person dancing? Why is she wearing cowboy boots and he's wearing tennis shoes? I don't get it. Okay? <laughs> So I know there's a learning curve to church. I know there's a learning curve to this thing called being a Christ follower. But there comes a, a point in our walk with Jesus where you better know how to pray. You better know how to get a hold of God. Because the Bible says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is not just a one-time salvation. That is a continual salvation. That's, I'm in desperate need. Help! Okay? You better know how to pray. And sometimes that's what prayer sounds like, doesn't it? If you look at your checkbook. Help! You look at your wife, help. No, just kidding. You know? Just kidding, all right? Come back, Jesus. And he, so he knows that Timothy knows how to pray, and now he's there for urging him on into prayer. Timothy, it, it's, it's time to pray. Why, why pray? Why pray? Because it builds intimacy, it builds trust, it puts things into proper perspective. When you begin to pray, it begins to put things into perspective. You realize, you know what? These people aren't that bad. They're actually halfway decent people. They're worth saving. Good job, Jesus. You know? It puts things in perspective. You realize, you know what? I was probably just once like them. Maybe I'm still like them. You know? You realize that God's in control and you're not. And you're subservient to him as you begin to pray. It puts things in perspective. It puts things in proper order it builds intimacy it builds trust Timothy I know things are bad but buddy there's something you need to do you need to pray you need to pray so it tells me that I'm urging him to pray because he knows how to pray but then it also tells me number two that Timothy probably wasn't praying right I mean if you're already doing something why would I need you to do it right he's urging him to do it because he's not doing it and yet he knows how to do it okay and so I'm urging you to pray. I mean, he could have spent time writing something else, but he didn't. Hey, there's one thing that's really important. There's really one thing you need to get here, Tim. You, you got to pray. Do you under, there's one thing I can give you. The very first thing is this, just pray. See, someone's going to wrap their mind around this today. When I, I, I was teaching my daughter how to ride a bike not too long ago, my, my six, six-year-old faith. going to be seven in a, in a week. But just like two years ago, I was teaching her how to ride the bike, and I'd take her over to Amici Park, and and I would get her going on her bike, but there's some instructions I would give her. And the very first thing, now, I don't know how you taught your children how to ride a bike, okay? I mean, first of all, I put a helmet on, and then I I duct tape pillows around them. Come on, somebody, okay? Get them on the bike, okay? But the very first thing I tell them, I said, baby, whatever you do, once you get going, don't stop pedaling. Don't stop pedaling. Why, Dad? Because if you do, you're going to fall. Oh, this is premier. If you keep pedaling, things will stay in motion. Timothy, if you would pray, things would begin to get in motion. Timothy, if you pray, some of these things that you're complaining about will begin to work themselves out. But you're not praying, Tim. You need to start praying. You know how, but you're not doing it. I, I know we've all probably been there before, okay? And, and it kind of boggles my mind sometimes that even as a pastor, but as a Christ follower, some of you out there, you get to that place as a Christ follower where you stop praying. Am I the only one that's been there before? I don't know where, why, and how, and whatever, but it's almost like things get so big in our life, and man, there's so many problems. You don't know what to do, and you stop praying. Right? This is what took place with Timothy. It's so bad. He's got to take a drink. Come on, somebody. It's so bad that in 1 Timothy 1, he wants to leave Ephesus. I don't even want to be here anymore. It's so bad that as a, as a minister of the gospel, he has come to a place where he's not even praying no more, okay? I, you need to pray, okay? I don't know how we get there, but oftentimes as Christ followers, we do, and we figure, you know, I don't know, it's, it's funny because it's sometimes that, you know, the people that aren't Christ followers are praying more than the Christ followers, right? And they don't even know what they're praying, but they're praying, Right? But here we are as Christ followers knowing what we ought to do, but we aren't doing it. It's important. Pray, Timothy. Pray. And then Paul begins to put some things in perspective. He begins to paint a picture, I believe, through 1 Timothy chapter 2 of of the results of no prayer taking place. He goes in and he talks about the, the essence of prayer. Here's why you need to pray. You need to pray, Timothy, because the gospel depends on it. You need to pray, Timothy, because there's bad doctrine taking place, and good doctrine will counteract bad doctrine, but you ain't going to get good doctrine unless you're praying. And he paints this picture, and that's why right in the middle, once again, of this chapter, just like in chapter one, Christ is right in the center, and it talks about Christ. Here is the reason why you need to pray. Why? Why? You need to pray so that the gospel moves forward, that Jesus Christ is glorified, that he becomes the center of all that we are doing as a church and all that we are doing as Christ followers, that he takes the premier place. You need to pray. You need to pray. And one of my prayers for urban church, and really in our existence statement is this, is that urban church exists to be an access point for people to discover Jesus Christ. We We could cut off the other parts if we wanted. We could just leave it right there. We exist to be an access point for people to discover Jesus Christ. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen through prayer. When we begin to pray and we begin to preach good, sound doctrine, but we've got to get back to this essential thing called called prayer. So Paul is is urging him on to pray, pray, pray. Right in the middle, what's the purpose of our prayer? Christ, God, be glorified. You know, as as Christians, if we are praying, I want to ask you this question. What are we praying for? Are we praying for the furtherance of the gospel? Are we praying that God's kingdom come, his will be done? Are we praying that he would be magnified? Are we praying that people would get saved because of his grace, his glory? Or are we praying, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. God, I don't know how I'm going to live with this child. (laughs) They don't listen. They don't get it. God, would you please heal my wife's brain? She doesn't understand a thing I'm saying, you know? What do you, you know? And I'm, I'm sure the, the, the wife's, I, see, I gotta speak for my, I know somebody. I thought, like, man, he's bashing on, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be in my wife's shoes. I'm sure it's much more difficult to be in my wife's shoes. a matter of fact, she's not even here anymore. She left, she's probably praying for me right now. <laughs> I don't know if I offended her or what. I'll find out later, but, you know? okay. What do we find ourselves praying for? Because here, Paul tells Timothy the purpose of our prayer is that Christ would be glorified. That he would be premier, That he would be in the center. That he would be the focal point of everything that takes place. And he should be. As Christ followers, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? He should be what is seen in our lives but things are bad. Things are going downhill. So so Paul addresses two things here, and I look at it in context. The very first thing is prayer. Okay, what are we praying for? We're praying that that Jesus Christ would be the center, but here's some things that are kind of happening because prayer isn't really taking place, okay? And so he addresses men, and he says in verse 8, he brings it back into perspective. We're talking about prayer. Okay, then men, you got to pray. Where? Everywhere, Wow, that's a lot of places. I know, it's everywhere. Okay? you got to pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands, which means you better check yourself before you, yeah, okay. okay. But then he says this, without anger and quarreling, he deals with two of the biggest issues that men deal with. Anger, okay, and quarreling. Now, I'm not talking about bickering. I'm talking about guys that just, if, I'll, I'll speak from my driveway, okay? I know as a man, I don't like to be wrong. Thank you, okay? I got one honest man in here, all right? That is it, okay? The rest of you are wrong right now, so you might want to say amen, okay? okay? We want to be right, okay? That's why we don't stop and ask for, why? Because we know where we're going. Even if we don't, we do. We want to be right, okay? Right. Another thing we deal with, we deal with, we deal with anger, okay? It's one of those things that, that men battle. And Paul here addresses that in the context of talking about prayer. Pray everywhere without anger and without quarreling. In other words, we could say this. The more I pray, the more I connect with God, guess what? The anger begins to subside, okay? The desire to always want to be right, I don't know if that's going to happen, pastor. <laughs> I'll pray for you, too. I'll fast, as a matter of fact. <laughs> okay? It begins to subside. Why? Because we're connecting with God. Okay? And we put, I, I remember just, uh, just a couple weeks ago, See, so here's what happens. If we're not praying, ladies and gentlemen, oftentimes if we're not praying, uh, we, we either get edgy with people, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Get a little edgy with people. Or we get edgy with circumstances. Something happens and a little thing becomes this huge, huge problem right? And so we're in the process of putting our condo on the market. It's up for sale. If anybody wants to buy one, let me know. And uh, so we have our condo on the market, but I wanted to do some things to really make it look beautiful. I don't know why we wait till we're going to sell it to finally fix it, but that's what I did, okay? And so I was putting around, I was putting this beautiful trim. And see, the guys know what I'm talking about. See, it's not just me, honey. It's them too. you know. I was putting this trim around the mirror, you know, and so I was doing this, and um, obviously you can't hammer nails into a mirror, and so I used liquid nails, God bless it, and so um, I, I put liquid nails all over the thing, and I stuck it on there, and I held it, and there's no way to clamp it, and so I'm like, babe, get in here, help me out, and she's ripping blue tape, you know, painter's tape, we're sticking it on there, we're holding it on there, we get it on there, it looks beautiful, I, I, I leave, and I come back, and there was a bow in it, and it was like, boom. and this side was totally stuck, and I was like, so I rip it off, scrape all the glue off, flip it around the other side, because I figured that then the bow would be in the middle, right, and I could just push the middle in, right, bing, pops off, okay. Now, I'm getting, I'm getting a little edgy with the circumstance, I'm not going to lie. And so finally, I, I put it on again, I stick it there, and I come back, and it's like falling off. And I, I lost it, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to confess right now as your pastor, I was this close to losing my salvation. Okay. Just being honest with you, okay? I'm sure you've been there before, too. And I grabbed that thing, and I ripped it off. And I was, was just a piece of wood, poor innocent piece of wood, right? And I ripped it off, and I was like, Ah! And I scraped the glue off my kids. They're like, Dad, what's wrong? <laughs> Katie's like, kids, let's go pray. <laughs> right? And I just, I mean, I, I, I probably went through six bottles of liquid nails. I'm just like, I don't care. I'm getting it all there. <laughs> and I stood there for 45 minutes just holding that thing in there. And I, I'm going to win. Man versus board. I win! You know? But I was getting, so, and I realized something. I hadn't prayed that day. Ah. <gasps> Pastor, how can you be up there right now? You missed a day of prayer. I probably missed two that week, all right? Get over it, okay? I realized something. Because I hadn't got away and I hadn't prayed and I hadn't seen God, that I found myself getting edgy with people and circumstances and things. When we don't pray, we tend to take things into our own hands and we try to fix it ourselves. When we don't pray, what we're telling God is this. We're saying, God, you know what? I love you. You're really awesome, but I don't need you today. I can handle this one on my own. Talk to you later. And Paul is saying, Timothy, buddy, you can't handle this one on your own. It's bad, bro. You need to stop everything you're doing. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop trying to pack your bags. Stop trying to get out of Ephesus. You need to stop for a moment, and you need to pray. Deal with your anger. Deal with your quarreling, and begin to pray. Then it moves on, right? This, 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 this boggles my mind. I desire then that in every place, men should pray, lifting up holy hands. Likewise, also the women. It tells me a couple things. It tells me this, that prayer actually adorns men it makes us look attractive. Come on, somebody. If you're single in here, you want a woman, start praying. Okay? It, it adorns us. It makes us look attractive. We're more peaceful. We're more relatable. Okay? And, and, and that's a good thing, in case you're wondering. Likewise, though, the women, now begins to talk about women, and it talks about women in plural, and it begins to deal with some issues. Now, now most scholars would believe that what was taking place was that the temple prostitutes, okay, that were going to the, this goddess Diana, they were going there, the temple prostitutes, performing acts of prostitution in the temple, that they were dressing in such a way that was very pr- provocative. Not just in the temple, but now they're beginning to set this overtone for culture. So now here's the godly women, the women of the church, and they are seeing their dress, and rather than influencing culture themselves, they are being influenced by culture. And so they're beginning to dress provocatively. But I have to stop and ask myself this question for a moment. Could it also be, now this is just my theory and my speculation, could it also be that they felt the need to begin to dress provocatively, and begin to dress in a certain way like the temple prostitutes because that's what the men were paying attention to. And not just the men in the world, mind you. This is talking to godly women. Could it be that the women were like, man, where's my man at? She finds out her man's over with the temple prostitute. So she begins to dress the same way to try to win back the affection and the attention. See, I believe this, when you read it in context, and and as we go further on, you're going to see this, that the man is the one that's supposed to be in control. The man is the one that's supposed to be the head, but the men aren't praying. And because the men aren't praying, the women are finding themselves like, what do we do? And now they find themselves, much like women do in today's culture, doing a job that they were never intended to do, raising a child by themselves. They find themselves in a position where they're taking on all these duties and all this stuff. That's why Paul addresses the men first. Men, you've got you to pray, man. Because you're not praying, guess what? Ephesus is jacked up. The church is jacked up because men aren't praying. Men are not doing their rightful due diligence to pray and seek me. And because of that, women are not falling into their place. So he addresses women as a whole says, you need to dress this certain way and not, not like that. Don't, don't go that way. But then he also now goes from the wom- women to the woman. And he begins to address her specifically. A woman shall not teach a rule over a man, singular. And then he brings it into greater perspective and brings in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve is a marriage relationship. He went from plural to women Now, to singular woman, and woman, you're not supposed to, no, God set it up this way, okay? And I believe, in context, it's talking specifically about a marriage relationship, because therefore he brings Adam and Eve in, setting, remember, Paul is writing to set things in order, are you with me? And he's writing to set things in order in the church, And he's saying, here is the way God intended it to be. But because, man, you ain't doing your job, woman is starting to rise up. It's not a woman issue. It is a man issue. I believe with all my heart, and I've said it time and time and time and time again, that if men would begin to live like men, we would see a lot of the stuff in our society begin to change. Are you with me? There would be no prostitutes if men stopped. There would be no strip clubs if men stopped. We could go on, okay? men would do their part. So Paul now addresses women. Then he addresses the woman. And he says, look, okay, this is your proper place. You're to learn in submissiveness to your husband. Lastly, and I'll just touch on this, this verse and we'll get to point number three and be done. The last verse here is kind of a tricky one to interpret. And it's gone back and forth, back and forth. What does that mean? There's like four different thoughts on this verse. I'm only going to give you one of them, and I'll let you begin to discover the others. Okay. What does it mean? I mean, here he addresses a man, and then he addresses women, then the woman, and now he's saying, wait, they got to have children to be saved? What is this talking about? I don't know. Let's move on. One of the thoughts is this, and this is the one that I adhere to. There's four pretty popular ones out there. And like I said, you can research those on your own. Is that when it says saved, it's not talking about salvation that we all receive. Another another translation says this, that women shall be preserved through childbearing. Okay? Be preserved through childbearing. Now listen to this. If they continue, what's that? In faith and love and holiness with self-control. If you put all the verses together and you take Adam and Eve and you take woman, here's your rightful spot. It's, it's to be the helpmate for the man. It's not to try to rise up and to teach and overpower and conquer. And, and, and No, you're supposed to be the helpmate, okay? And then it goes into this. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned, Adam did it willfully. Eve was deceived. After they had sinned and then... God comes along and says, you know what? For the woman, your desire is going to want to be to rule over the man. But no, he's going to rule over you. Okay? We take that verse now, we bring it here. He was talking about Adam and Eve. And we bring it to verse 15. It's saying this. Listen, woman you will be preserved. What does that say? You'll be preserved into your rightful place as you begin to be a mother of the children. It'll give you purpose. It'll give you meaning. It'll give you perspective. It'll give you the place now that God intended you to have, and you won't want to rise up over the husband because now you realize you're being preserved. As you continue in faith, uh, love, and holiness, you will continue in these things. You won't even have the desire to rise up because now your desire you're being preserved through child. You're being preserved through giving birth to children. This is your duty. This is what's granted to you. And now that motherly instinct kicks in, okay? And she's just like, honey, go work. I'm going to stay home with my baby. I don't want a job. I don't want to go to work. Go make some. Go bring home the bacon. Go be a man. Come on, somebody, okay? Now I'll let you discover the other, the other three that are out there. Because I trust you're going to go home and study for hours today. So we see this urging of prayer. Timothy knew how to pray, he wasn't praying. But it also shows this, this that prayer is really, really important. If it's going to be the first thing that Paul urges Timothy to do, it's going to be very important. Prayer is so important that as we look back even into the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7.14 would come to mind that says this, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and, let's just paraphrase it, pray. Wow, if, it's a small word with a big meaning, if my people would pray, then I will hear from heaven, and I will, I will not only touch them, but I will heal their whole entire land. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is significant. Prayer is huge. Prayer, think about Joshua when they were battling the army, and he prayed that prayer of, of, hey, don't let the sun go down and tell. And the Bible says that the sun stood still. He prayed. It happened. I mean, think about James. In James chapter 5. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous individual, it it avails much. For Elisha was a a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. Prayer. Think about Acts chapter 5. Peter's in prison. Y'all heard this story before? The Bible's packed full of them. Peter's in prison. The church doesn't know what to do. So you know what they do? They go lock themselves in somebody's house, and they cry. No, they pray. And there's a prayer meeting. You know what they're praying? They're praying specifically that Peter would get out of prison so that the gospel could move forward. They're praying. They're praying, and they're praying, and guess what? God does some supernatural stuff, and, 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 and Peter gets out of prison. It's a phenomenal story. Peter gets out of prison. Like, one door opens, guards are blinded, one sleep, and he's just like, whoop. Read the story. And then guess what? He shows up at the door of the place where they're praying, and he knocks. So the mic could pick it up. (laughs) It's not how I normally knock on doors. Are you in there? Okay. He knocks on the door. Knocks on the door. Little girl comes. Peter, we're praying for you, bro. Goes back, tells tells the adults, hey, Peter's here. And they're like, shut up. He's like, no, no, really. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. (laughs) He's really here. No, you probably just saw his ghost. I guess it was more common to see ghosts back then than answered prayers. I don't know. But they weren't even praying a faith-filled prayer because they didn't believe that Peter was there. But they were praying. They were praying. Prayer is so important that it's the first thing that Paul urges timothy to do pray pray timothy before you leave ephesus pray timothy before you get upset with everybody and want to take some people out pray timothy before you lose your mind buddy just 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 pray just pray i mean just just before you get anxious for anything just 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 pray before you just just pray First of all, then, I'm urging you before anything else, before you start complaining, before you go in for the surgery, before you do your budget, before you ask her on a date, before you discipline your children, pray. Pray. Prayer is so important. But I want to ask you this question, church, are you praying? And if you're praying, James says this, we, we, we pray, but we're praying the wrong things, and therefore our prayers are missing the mark. Are you praying that Christ would come, be glorified, that he would be the center, that he would be the premier, that he would be the one that's glorified in you? Or are you still stuck on praying for some essentials? Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? Everything you need, he's gonna give it. You heard a great testimony right here. Doesn't make sense. God will step out in obedience. God came. Good job. You know what they did before they They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. Timothy, it's one thing I need you to get here. Before you take on this commission, because it's huge, remember if you blow it, I'm sending you over to the devil. <laughs> I need you to pray. Urban, we are going into a new season as a church. We're going to see great growth, we're already seeing it. Eleven people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ last week. But there's something we need to do, we need to pray. Pastor, what do we pray? That Christ would be glorified, that he would be seen, that he would get the glory, that he would get the honor, and that he would build his church. God, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is amazing. Hallelujah. Just do me a favor. Just close your eyes for a minute as we conclude the service today. I'm going to ask the ushers to get some buckets ready again. and and In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to drop your response card in that bucket when it comes your way. You didn't have a chance earlier to give to Joe and Caleb or to the church. You want to do that, uh, you can do that now. But I want to ask you this question. Your eyes are closed. You're examining your heart. Thank you so much for coming to Urban Church. We're so blessed you're here. Some of you checking it out. Some of you visiting on this three-day weekend. I love it when people come and visit on three-day weekends because it tells me, man, they really love God. If they're going to find church on vacation, that's awesome. Thank you so much for choosing this one. Thank you for coming and checking it out if you're checking it out just a minute at the end of the service we're going to have a get together time if you've been new in the last five weeks six weeks and you haven't had a chance to go to attend next we have food for you and we'd love just to sit down hear your story you don't have to stay a long time it's literally 45 minutes meet some people have a chance to meet me and we'll we'll feed you but before we get there i want to ask you this question where are you at with paul's challenge to timothy in the 18th century, these became known as the pastoral epistles. This is, this is setting in order what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be a praying group of people. Are you praying? If you're not, I want to invite you today to, to jump in. It's one of the greatest conversations you'll ever have, a conversation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's awesome. And it's in there intimacy is built. It's there where trust is built. It's there where you get proper perspective. And all of a sudden, that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glory and grace. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Wow. Could it be that Paul knew what he was talking about? Timothy, pray. I know there's some issues. Pray. Listen to me. I know you're facing some stuff, church. I know you got some relational difficulties. I know you got some financial burdens. I know you got some big, big decisions that are coming up that you have to make. I, I know that there might be some job transfers taking place. There might be some schooling issues going on. But listen to me. Shove it all aside and pray. Pray. Do not be anxious for anything. But through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There he is again, right in the center. (laughs) It's all about him. He's a miracle worker. And he brings peace where there was no peace. He brings hope where there was no hope. He brings salvation where there was only only desperation. He, he, he He brings joy where there was only anger and frustration. He comes. Pray, 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 pray.